Hallelujah. Would you please stand for the reading of the word? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It couldn't be a more appropriate song before the word than this song. Breathe on me, Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Breathe on all of us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist when he said, As the heart panted for the water brooks, so panted my soul after thee, O Lord. You know, if you're hungry, he can feed you. If you're thirsty, he can satisfy you. You just have to let him in. And you are. And I'm grateful. Breathe on us, Lord. In the book of Exodus, please, chapter 30, for the lesson this morning. This will be the final lesson in the series of lessons I began after our summer revival. On the power of the Spirit-filled life. Immediately after our revival and during the revival, the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart to bring to you this message, these messages that included the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what it means. Who is the Holy Spirit? O oh Lord, send the power just now. One of the messages was, is speaking in tongues relevant for today? And last Sunday I spoke to you on the importance of the anointing. And I chose this passage led by the Lord for the text. And I didn't get to it in the nature and the particular depth that I feel the Lord would have us to visit this morning. So I want to speak from it beginning at verse number 22, please, of Exodus 30. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. Observe, if you will, in the following reading, how many times the word holy is mentioned. Verse 25, And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an anointment compounded according to the art of the perfumers. It shall be holy, a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of the meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, and they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy and shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Must be something important about that, wouldn't you say? I want the Lord to breathe on all of us even greater than he has. So would you stretch your hands in my direction? Would you offer a prayer for me out of the sincerity of your heart? Pray for me. I want to pray for you that God will make us one in his word. Go ahead. Father, I sense your power. I sense your anointing in this service. And I thank you for the wonderful worship and praise and the songs. And how glad it makes my heart to look on this congregation and see every section of this sanctuary filled. Praise you, Lord. Lord, I, I feel honored in that, but I also feel anxious about that. Because I feel the responsibility to declare the Word of God and to do it in holiness. So as they pray for me and I pray for them, we are one, Lord. We pray that the breath of God would not just breathe over us, but be in us. Say amen, church. We pray the Word of God would leap out of the pages into our hearing and into our hearts. We don't just want to be hearers of the Word. Amen, church? We want to be doers of the Word. 
We don't just want to look in the mirror of the Word and see a blemish on our complexion and walk away like nothing is there. But we want to take it, O God, and say, remove the blemish and fill us with your holiness. So, Father, I believe in signs and wonders and miracles for today. I believe in the baptism and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost for right now. And we need the power the Holy Spirit can bring. Release it in greater measure so we can serve you with greater holiness in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? And amen it is. And you may be seated. Thank you for your worship. Let me just highlight to you that if you desire even... Uh, a more in-depth study on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this series of sermons. Let me strongly recommend to you this book I hold in my hand. It's called Understanding the Holy Spirit, Biblical Answers to Questions about the Holy Spirit and Spiritual Gifts. This book was written by Dr. Raymond Culpepper while he served as senior pastor of Metropolitan Church of God in Birmingham. He presently serves our denomination as the general overseer. But this to me, in all my studies over the years of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and the questions about it, this has been to me the most powerful tool. It can be had for $5. That's what we pay for it. We're not making any money from it. Miss Ann will be glad to take your order, and you can have it for your own personal growth. We do have available to you a couple of pamphlets free of charge about the Holy Spirit, who He is, and speaking in tongues, and what that means. So I want you to learn beyond me. I want you to learn from His Word. Amen? So I make those resources available to you. In order to, to kind of bring us up to date and where we are for the, today's lesson, let me just briefly touch on the thought from last week. Last week I talked about the importance of the anointing. And in the circle of the church, and especially in Pentecostal circles, much is said about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because we've come to understand that the anointing represents certain things that help us to be better worshipers and just better people. Can I get an amen by faith? And so when we think about the anointing, we often hear the words of Zechariah repeated. Zechariah 4 and 6, when the prophet said about the need for the power of God. He said, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because you see, the spirit of the Lord represents the anointing of the Lord. Can I get another amen? And so, in order to review where we are and where we're going, I want to give you a definition or several definitions for what is the anointing. The simplest definition I know is that the anointing is to be set apart. When God anoints something or someone, He sets it or them apart for His use. When you read the Old Testament and you find that a king was selected by God to serve the nation of Israel. Often a part of the ceremony of his inauguration was that the prophet would come and he would bring a horn of oil, an animal's horn, if you will, that's been uh, dug out and emptied. And the horn would be filled with oil. And as part of the ceremony of the king being set apart to serve the people of God, the prophet would take the horn of oil and pour it over the head of the king. Let it run across his face and down his beard and onto his garments, signifying that he was set apart to be a servant of the Lord. In defining the anointing so we can appreciate its gift, it also means to authorize or set apart a person for a particular work or service. You remember in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus introduced His earthly ministry, He recited the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, verses 1 and 3. Jesus, speaking of His ministry, said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news. Can somebody say amen? And Jesus realized he needed the anointing because he said he has anointed me to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted. And so with the anointing comes the power to do what God has called us to do. There's a better understanding when we understand that the anointing also incorporates this thing of the oil, which of course the oil represents the oil of the Holy Spirit. So the anointing means to rub with oil or consecrate. 
as we did last Sunday morning in this service and as we did in the second service. If you were here, then you experience as you made yourself available. We call for the elders of the church and credential ministers. And we anointed perhaps hundreds of people in both services because the combined attendance was 903. And everybody who came forward was anointed with oil because it's part of the impartation. Can I get another amen? Amen. The anointing means a special endowment of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It means that the Holy Spirit will give you the power and the resources and additional skills and know-how to carry out what you need to do to bring God glory. If you can overcome temptation in your own flesh and you want to overcome it, the Holy Spirit will give you a special endowment. Can I get an amen? Somebody say, Pastor, I don't know how to give up pornography. I try. I don't know how to give up cussing. I get my temper in the way and I cuss. I don't know how to give up the old life. If you will pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then you will get a special endowment of the Holy Ghost. It'll help you overcome the flesh, the world, and the devil. The anointing is the presence of God in favor. Oh, it's one thing to have the presence of God in this sanctuary and service like we have it. It's one thing to have the presence of God in your job and in your marriage and your private life in favor. You don't want the presence of God in disfavor. Can I get another amen here? You don't want the presence of God in rebuke and judgment, although He will manifest Himself that way if we need it and we need the correction. But the greatest blessing of your life is to have God put His stamp of approval on your life and say, this is my anointed, this is my chosen vessel, this is my son, my daughter, my child. That's the special approval of God and His favor. I don't know about you, it may be something nice to have the approval of the presence. It may be nice to have the approval of the Queen of England. It may be nice to have a certificate, a diploma that gives you the approval of a college or a high school. But the greatest favor in our lives is for God to set us apart and say, you are my vessel. I love you. Go ahead and put your hands together, everybody, and give the Lord a thanks. So the bottom line of the anointing is that it is the power of God. Hallelujah to Jesus. It is the power of God to resist the devil when he attacks. It is the power of God to fight principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. It's the power of God to get out of the mediocrity and ho-hum of Christianity. If your Christianity makes you miserable, that wasn't God's plan. If coming to church makes you nervous, that's not God's plan. If coming to church is boring to you and reading the Bible is just being done out of legalism and and, an obligation so that God can give you a check mark, you can get a favor from God. God, if giving your tithe and offering to God is because you want God to give you something back, you miss the whole point. What we need this morning is the power of God to put joy in our walk with God, to put obedience in our heart with God, to give us rivers of living water flowing up in our being so that we don't moan and groan and complain about our walk, but it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm getting too happy too soon. By reviewing. Well, Pastor, if the anointing is so important, what does it do? Just by way of review. I won't go over it again, but I'll just touch on it. I told you last week, the anointing makes holy. Can I get another amen here? My friend, if there's anything you ought to want from God that will draw you nearer to God, it's to be holy unto God. Thank you, Jesus, because holiness becometh God. And in this world of political correctness, in this world of uh, pluralistic thoughts of what morality is, in this world of anything goes, if it feels good, do it, and pay the consequences later, we must be holy. The anointing not only makes us holy, but helps us to have a covenant with God. Thank you, Jesus. You see, God wants to give a continual anointing. He doesn't just want to bless you, sir and ma'am, mom and dad. He wants to give a covenant to your family so the anointing of God will pass down on your children. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, buy them when it's appropriate and when they deserve it. Buy them appropriate gifts as they're responsible to handle it. But the greatest gift you can give your child is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings of the Holy Ghost. God wants to make a covenant. He don't just want you to have a Sunday morning anointing. He wants you 
you and your family and your generations to be a blessed generation. The anointing releases to minister. Oh, I'm telling you, you've never sung a song for God unless you've, until you've sung it under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You've never played an instrument in the band or the choir or sang in the choir or played in the orchestra unless you've done it with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. But you know, it's not just for churchy stuff. You've never worked on your job with greater peace and handled the machinery you have unless you have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You, you listen, some of you have to deal with difficult people. And and you have to deal with people. Some of you are in the customer service department. Help me out here. In your company, you are in the customer service department. How many know if you work in customer service, you got to have a double portion of the anointing? He releases you to minister. There's more. The anointing of the Lord sanctifies. The word sanctify means to separate. The Bible says about the blessings of the Lord that we are in this world, but not of this world. The Bible says in order to get blessed of God, that we are to come out from among the world and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and then I will bless you. The anointing not only sanctifies, it's not to be taken lightly. And I can preach there again. Not everybody who says they're a bishop is anointed. Not everybody who calls themselves an apostle is anointed. Not everybody who is a pastor is anointed. Can somebody help me preach here? There is an anointing that comes through the power of God where there must be a preparation on the part of the candidate for the anointing. God will not live in an unholy temple. God will not cohabitate with the world and the flesh and the devil. It's not to be taken lightly. And I told you that last week. I also want to tell you the anointing breaks the bondages. Isaiah said his anointing will break the yoke. Some of us have deliberately or, or erroneously yoked up with the wrong people. Some of us have yoked up with the wrong people and the wrong habits and the wrong lifestyle. Help me preach here, somebody. Somebody's saying, well, you know, when I get my life right, then I'll get saved. When I give up this habit, then I'll get saved. When I give up this crowd, then I'll get saved. When I get my finances in order, then I'll come back to God. You are not going to, in your own strength, give up the wrong crowd or the bad habit or get your life in order. That's why the anointing is available to yoke up with God and you and give you the power to be victorious. The anointing heals the sick. And that's why we bring out the oil just about every service or those who linger after service. My Lord, we'll bring out the anointing oil. It's in my office. I got anointing oil in my car. I got anointing oil in my office. I got anointing oil in my house. And I told you last week, if I leave the house without anointing oil, I even got chapstick. We're going to anoint somebody and pray for them. We're not going to minimize the power of the oil. But the Bible, I still believe. Let me tell you, I still believe that God can heal cancers. I still believe that God can heal migraine headaches. I still believe that God can heal stomach and back pain and any kind of attack of Satan on our bodies. The Bible says is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him anoint them with oil and let him pray the prayer of faith and God will raise them up. Yeah. I believe the, when the anointing comes on you and you pray, you don't have to have college credentials to pray. You don't have to have a preacher's degree to pray. If you're full with the Holy Ghost, you've got a little bit of oil and you find somebody you need and they're willing to believe, God will do the rest. The anointing abides, 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 abides. Thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you the anointing according to 1 John 2 and 7 says is in you. It's given to God, from God to you, and He abides. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, having said that, let me move you to today's text. The recipe that we read in Exodus 30, the recipe for this oil of anointing, gives us a picture of what we need in our lives to know God's anointing. I just told you a moment ago. That God won't put His power, His fire, or His purity on just any vessel. When you, when you read about the ingredients to this recipe for anointing, it helps us to know how we can have it. The first ingredient, if you will, is liquid myrrh. That would be verse number 23. Keep your Bibles open. It says, also take for yourself quality spices. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. 
Myrrh is a sweet spice, but the word myrrh means bitter. Myrrh comes from the resin of the low thorny myrrh tree. It is bitter to the taste, but sweet to the smell. Now the question is, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit anointing oil? And the answer is this. There are times when life brings us bitter disappointments. There are times when life brings us heartaches and misery. Hard, difficult things come our way. Yes, even after we're saved. And because the devil has a bull's eye on our chest or on our back to shoot his fiery arrows of destruction, we are told to put on the whole armor of God. Because sometimes the most difficult struggles we face comes from an attack of Satan after we are born again. And so realizing that, I have come to understand that many Christians can become bitter from some of life's experiences. They've been hurt, emotionally damaged by some negative experience, and they themselves have become bitter. How many knows that bitterness can hinder the anointing? How many? Just, just raise your hand. No, it can hinder your healing. Okay, so you identify. And here's what I would, have to, uh, would, would want you to know from the Word of God. We will never be a candidate for the anointing, the true anointing, until we have learned to taste the bitter of life, even in ministry, and stay sweet. Instead of exuding bitterness, even though we taste it, when the anointing comes, we learn to exude sweetness. And even though life throws hardships and pain and gives us purpose or maybe the persuasion to want to be grouchy and bitter and profane and nasty. Because, see, that's the human reaction to bitterness and hardship. Go get drunk again. Some of you act like you ain't been drunk. God delivered you, but, but you know what I'm talking about. The flesh's response is... Get them before they get me again. The flesh's response is anxiety and revenge. Bitterness. Because I suggested to you that the myrrh is bitter to the taste, but sweet to the smell. And in order to be a light, to be a better husband, a better wife, a better employer, a better employee, a better child, a better servant of God, in order to be a better witness of Christ, we've got to learn how to taste the bitterness of life and let the Holy Spirit cause us to exude, give out the sweetness of the Lord. You can't do that in your own flesh, but you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you think about the life of Jesus, you understand that The most bitter place that Jesus experienced prior to the cross was Gethsemane. The most urgent place of his earthly ministry was the night of his arrest when he went into the garden of Gethsemane. And he behooved his disciples to tarry and pray with him because his hour was at hand. The hour of his arrest that would lead to his false accusations against him. That would lead to his beating and scourging and eventual death. And he took his, his closest friends, the one he thought he could depend on the most. And said, tarry with me and pray. And on three separate occasions, he comes back to see if they're praying and they're falling asleep. I would say that's a bitter experience for Christ, wouldn't you? Gethsemane. And, and the most bitter experience for Christ was Golgotha, Calvary, where he, in whom there was, oh, help me, Holy Ghost, in whom there was no sin, took on our sins. And he could have called one angel or a thousand angel and could have destroyed his captors. But had he done it, all of us would pardon the. Plainness. If Jesus had interrupted Golgotha 
all of us would have bust hell wide open. Thank God for Jesus' anointing on the cross. I, I feel it now. You know, you know how you know you have the anointing? When you have the power to do something that, that might glorify yourself or legitimize you for the moment. But God says, not now, wait. You know how you have the anointing? When you handle pressure with the power. You, you know when you have the anointing? When you know you could have the last word and you'd be right, but the Holy Spirit says, zip it. That's Greek. Greek for zip it. You know you have the anointing when you have the power to get back revenge. But, not, no, God says vengeance is mine. I, I'm in school with you. I'm working on the same thing. Yeah. Some, oh, God, I better not go there. You see, life is filled with Gethsemanes and Golgothas, but we must learn to hang from our crosses and say like Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. At Calvary, Jesus was tasting the bitter of suffering, but he was exuding the sweet of the mercy of God. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Joseph? Joseph, who was moved from the pit where his brothers placed him before telling his father that he was dead. And then he was moved to the prison where he lived because he was committed to personal purity and refused to succumb to the seductions of Potiphar's wife. You remember this Joseph? Who for 17 years was removed from his father and brothers by nothing of his own fault. But for just telling the dream that God had given him. Can I get an amen here? So he was moved from his father's place to a pit and sold into slavery and was put into prison. But oh, here's how Joseph took the bitterness of life. The Bible says while Joseph was tasting the bitter, he's able to exude the sweet because 17 years later when God elevated Joseph to be the prime minister of Egypt and his brother showed up to get food and they didn't know that this was their brother. They didn't know this was Joseph because he had Egyptian attire. He spoke the Egyptian language. Joseph had the power to kill his brothers for what they did 17 years ago. But he said to them, you meant it for evil, but God turned it and made it good. If you wait on God, He'll fight your battle and He will give you victory over the devil and your enemies. Everybody, give the Lord thanks by faith. It's not easy to do it, to take the bitter and exude sweet, but the Holy Ghost will do it. Here's the next ingredient, sweet-smelling cinnamon. We're all acquainted with cinnamon. The word cinnamon means to stand upright. This is the idea, church, of righteousness, of holiness, and purity. You see, the flower of the cinnamon plant smells offensive. But the cinnamon isn't made from the flower of the plant. It is made from the bark of the cinnamon plant. The second ingredient for the recipe of the anointing is known as the cinnamon of uprightness. The problem with uprightness is that it is offensive to the world. And we have come to live in a day and time where morality and holiness offends the present world. Help me out here, somebody. Yeah. Many of us have compromised on the anointing in the past because we wanted the favor of friends, family, and the world. Oh, thank you, brother. Come on, help me out here. We got stuff in our fridge that doesn't belong there. But we don't want the kids to feel bad. We let them bring their so-called friends or whomever else and drag them out to do something wrong because we, some of we parents want to be friends with our children. When God didn't call you to be a friend with your child, He called you to be a parent. And along that journey, you got to discipline and rebuke and reprove. Friendship will come later. <laughs> I feel a whoop glory on this entire ball head. Yeah, I know you're in a tight place now. Some of you are sitting in the middle of that pew and you can't leave. And that's the Holy Ghost helping me. Yeah. 
Uprightness offends the world. But sin offends God. You know what's pathetic in America? Is that our teenagers, young adults, and even adults get their morality from the likes of Hollywood stars who can't stay married, who have children out of marriage. What, what offends God and offends Christians is the blatant violation of the Word of God. You know why God put this Word in here and in us? Not because He wants to be a pain in our neck. You know why your parents corrected you when you were growing up if you had loving parents? And why your parents correct you now? It's not because they stay up to midnight at night trying to find creative ways to make your life miserable. It's because they love you. You may get permission. You may get permission from your parents to break curfew. You say, Mama, can't make it back tonight at 10 or 11 or 12 because it's a special night. I'm coming in at 1. Going to bed. I got my cell phone. Mama, go to bed. And Daddy, go to bed. But they're still up. Because of protection. You know why God gave the Ten Commandments? It's because, not because God is some kind of cosmic killjoy. He loves us. And He wants to bless us. But when you march to the drumbeat of the world, you're going to get the consequences of what the world gets. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. There is nothing in the natural like the like the taste of cinnamon. It's one of my favorite flavors. I can walk into a mall and at the door tell if they have a Cinnabon store. <laughs> my nose. It's long for a reason, but it leads me to good things. <laughs> you ever had a Cinnabon? I ain't talking about S-I-N-N-E-R, okay? But my C-I-N-N-A. Cinnabon. I can drive by. Mrs. Winner's chicken on a morning and tell if the cinnamon swirl is ready. <laughs> you know where I'm going, don't you? Yeah. Ain't nothing like the taste of cinnamon. But I'm going to tell you something about the spiritual. There's nothing that takes the place of guilt-free living when you're living in righteousness. <laughs> Help me out here, somebody. There's nothing like getting up in the morning knowing that you ain't got to look behind your back the rest of the day for somebody you stabbed yesterday. Yeah. There ain't nothing like living like every time the phone rings, you don't care who the caller ID is. You don't even have to look. You just kind of pick it up because you ain't got nothing against nobody. Somebody say amen. Yeah. You see, sin leaves a horrible aftertaste of shame. You heard me, didn't you? Sin leaves a horrible aftertaste of shame. But righteousness brings spices into our lives. Hear me when I tell you that uprightness changes the flavor of your marriage. Uprightness changes the flavor of your relationship with other people. Say amen, somebody. Uprightness will change your thought life. It will change your working environment. If you live in upright... It'll change the circle of your friends. Hey, listen to this. Listen to this. Why do we got to stay in the... Oh, the grammar's bad. Why do we have to stay in the break room and listen to bad jokes? Walk out and start your own break room that testifies. Okay? Because you can change the circle of your friend. Once they know that you love God and you can put up with that trash, they're going to hit the road. If you and I want the power that comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I believe we do, then we must walk right, talk right, live right, and stand upright. Oh, God, help me. I'm, I'm the shepherd of this flock, okay? I'm the pastor of this flock, so listen to me. I pull my glasses off because I don't want to see where you are. Foolish man that I am, I want to find you. There's stuff going around on Facebook. I'm not in Facebook, okay? If you want to see my face, come to church. I ain't in Facebook, okay? It probably isn't a bad thing, okay? It probably is a very good thing. But there's stuff going around on some people, some of which come to this church, that grieves my heart. Because I've been told that they've been sipping on some stuff that grieves the Holy Ghost. You all with me here? 
I know there are other churches that would be glad for you to attend. I'm not trying to run you there. I'm just trying to get you holy. Okay? Christians compromising and hanging out and compromising on drinking and compromising on entertainment and all these other kinds of vices which will lead to a backslidden life. Most people who backslide don't generally backslide overnight. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit this. Shun the appearance of evil. If you're going to lose some friends because you stand up for uprightness, they won your friends anyhow. Somebody ought to say amen. I'm telling you, I love you and I care about you and I'm praying for you. But you've got to help yourself by saying there are just some people, some associations, some crowd, some environment, some places where I don't need to go. You see, uprightness will keep you from the wrong crowd, the wrong place and the wrong people. Uprightness will keep you from sexually transmitted diseases. Uprightness will keep you from addictions, bondages and other kinds. You know, sometimes the pastor is like a good mother. I used to think I would hide from my mother. I used to think I, I, my mother, I used to think my mother don't have a clue how I'm breaking the rules. Before I got home, Brother Ron, she's waiting at the door because the Holy Ghost told her. He is up to no good again. And while I'm, I'm not trying to take more credit than I'm, I deserve, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the pastor is discernment. I'm just trying to pastor you and tell you. If you want to walk in power, walk in uprightness. Okay, okay, that's enough of that. I was shouted down, so I better move fast. Calamus is the third ingredient. What about this calamus? Calamus comes from a reed, a sweet cane. What that means here about calamus is calamus typically thrives in marshlands, not in miry clay. But this particular type of sweet cane, calamus, has adapted or have learned to thrive in miry clay. There's another feature about this calamus that helps me to understand what God wants to do with the Holy Spirit in my life. This feature is this reed or calamus is a natural channel, a pipe produced by nature. Let me show you what I mean. Any, any, you, you know what a bamboo reed is? Everybody had a bamboo cane or you know what I'm talking about a bamboo reed? Raise your hand and I know what's going on. Bamboo, bamboo reed, okay? Very plentiful in the, in the islands and in tropical uh, environments, okay? And they grow very large in Trinidad. And they are very strong. And the larger they grow, the, the better the use can be for even construction purposes or temporary purposes. The bamboo cane. The thing about the bamboo cane, though, however, in order for it to be a pipeline or a conduit, sort of like a PVC pipe, at every joint, you've got to go in and hollow out or hollow out the diaphragm. Because there's a joint about a foot long, depends on how tall it is. And each joint, if you hollow that out, take it out, and you go through the entire cane, it's sort of a resistor, a diaphragm. When you hollow all the resistors out and all the blockages, then it can flow like a conduit and a pipe, and it can help you do what you need to do. And and I've I've told you that to say this to you. God wants all of us to be a valuable conduit of the power of God, the love of God, and the grace of God. God wants to use all of us in a gift or many gifts so that we can change others while we get ready for the kingdom of God. He wants all of us to be a pipeline. He doesn't want all of us just to be a reservoir where we collect and collect and collect. Can I get an amen? God, in order for God to bless some of us, He's got to get the blessing through us. Give me an amen, somebody. You know, in other words, if, if God's going to give you more money and He's going to bless you with a higher pay grade, if God's going to give you more money so that you can accomplish more things, He's got to know in your heart that you're not going to keep all that money for yourself and hoard it up and spend it on you. But He's got to know that along the way you're going to give a 10%, which is your tithe, and give to missions and the building fund and the poor and the needy. God wants to make you a conduit of His blessing. Somebody say amen. And I'm saying to you, that in order for the anointing to flow, we got to be a conduit. we we got to take, take down the blockages, the barriers in the system of our lives. Can I get an amen here? Help us, Jesus. But as I, as I pondered this, and I, I need to move on. This thing of being a vessel of God means that this, this item, bullet number two, adapting to Mary Clay. We used to sing a song in the church of God says, He lifted me out 
Off the deep miry clay, he planted my feet on the heavenly way. I'll tell it where'er I go that I want the whole world to know. Anybody know that song? I'm glad that he loves me so, that he lifted me out. I know, I know you're all going to look for me on American Idol, but I'm going to stay here. I am going to stay I'm going to stay in my anointed. I'm not anointed to sing on American Idol, but I know you're going to submit my name. Don't do it. <laughs> Myry Clay is another way of quick saying quicksand. Anybody going to help me here? Amen. I may know the devil got his own quicksand for us. Amen. But we can thrive in quicksand until we get solid ground because of the Holy Spirit. I, I, read, this, I read this in my preparation for this lesson about pioneer preachers, Paul and Margaret Walker. Paul and Margaret Walker were the parents of Dr. Paul Walker, who pastored Mount Perrin Church of God for 35 years and who also served a term as our general overseer. Matter of fact, Dr. Paul Walker, the son of Paul Walker Sr., dedicated these facilities in 1997. His parents, the story is told in the book about their ministry called Paths of a Pentecost Pioneer. The testimony of Paul and Margaret Walker is told they were ministering in the plains of the Dakotas many, many years ago. Margaret was expecting and she was in a seventh month of pregnancy. And in their travel, this couple were caught in a September snowstorm. At the house of a fellow Christian, Margaret went into premature labor. The doctor was called. It was a long and hard labor. And two baby girls came breach. The doctor left. Margaret was totally exhausted. The children were weak. They were small. They were fragile and very vulnerable. And it was very, very cold. It was so cold that Paul took the babies and put them in a warming oven. The cold penetrated that little sod hut, and in the night, those babies died. Margaret Walker said in her testimony that that was one of the hardest experiences of her entire life. She said, here we were on the prairie, enduring hardship, sacrificing, trying to take the gospel to one little town after another little town on the prairie, yet the babies died. There were times, though, when miracles would come. At the time in Farshall, North Dakota, when the walkers were in a meeting in that little city, God woke up a group of Indians who later became to know, be known as the Cloud Indian family, who later also became to be known as accomplished gospel singers. Early in the morning, this small band of Indians began to pray with a troubled heart, a heaviness in their spirit. And the word from the Lord came forth and it indicated that danger is in the air. When the walkers came into the prayer meeting that day, a prophecy went out and said, Tonight your life will be in danger. Margaret, upon hearing the prophecy, immediately recalled the dream that God had given her recently. And the dream said that imminent danger is lurking. And according to this true account, that night a man walked into that meeting in Farshall, North Dakota, with the intention of taking the life of Paul Walker, the preacher. He approached the pulpit, and in full view of the packed house, he raised his hands against the Pentecostal preacher. Raised it up. Whatever reason or purpose uh, he might have had in his hand or was going to do, in midair, as, as if some invisible hand struck his hand, the man's hand fell to his side. In a matter of days, he was dead. And Margaret Walker knew that deliverance had come from God and that God had intervened and spared the life of her husband. But now two twin girls lay still and dead. According to the account, husband Paul went outside and fashioned a simple casket. He lined the little casket, homemade casket, with a blanket and he took the babies placed them in this homemade wooden casket and carried them inside for a moment to Margaret, his wife. He said to her, These are our babies. They are with the Lord. 
And Paul, the husband, continued, Now, Margaret, we have two more reasons to go home. According to the account, Paul Walker then went outside in the frozen, cold, and frozen prairie ground of North Dakota, dug a grave, and buried his two twin girls. Even more important, he and Margaret went to the next town with the same message. And then they went to another town with the same message. Didn't stop. The bitterness came. The pain came. But in the midst of the bitter experience, they kept going because God never promised to spare us of the bitterness of life. We've got to learn to taste the bitter and exude the sweet. Some of us give up too soon, though. I say we give up too soon because the cassia, the fourth ingredient, is an aromatic shrub that has a purple shriveled flower that almost appears to bow down. The cassia is the fourth ingredient of this anointing oil. And with this notion of this flower appearing to bow down, God had a reason for which he told Moses to choose the cassia for its bowing down ability because it's a picture of worship. I would tell you that in order to overcome the pain of this life, you've got to learn to worship God in spite of it. Worship is the key element of the anointing. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Oh, yes. We go to work when we don't feel like it. Give me an amen. We pay our bills when we don't feel like it. We take medicine when we don't feel like it. We go for CAT scans and other kind of medical procedures when we don't feel like it. We spend money on repairs and emergencies and things that tear up that are temporary when we wish we didn't have to. But when you worship, it's better than spending money to get something back. Can I get an amen? Oh, it's easy sometimes to worship when the houses feel like it is and the choirs are anointed like they are. And the Spirit of God is here. But I'm talking about worship. When you get news that the spot on the x-ray may be calling for a biopsy, which may reveal a malignancy. You say like Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You worship when they call you and say your son is in jail because he was with the wrong people in the wrong place. And you say, God, I dedicated that child before that child knew his or her own name. While they may have wandered astray, I worship you for my son and daughter because you are the deliverer. So I close with this. All of these ingredients was mixed with the oil, olive oil. And the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit is like the anointing oil. So I want to say to you that in order for you and I this morning to get the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the way that we need this morning, Hallelujah. I got to have the myrrh of his anointing, which tells me that even though bitterness touches my life, I'll stay sweet. Somebody say amen. I got to have the cinnamon of a brightness to be holy because he is holy. I got to be like the calamus reed or bamboo. Remove all the resistors and the blockages in my life so the spirit can flow, thrive in Maori clay. Then I have to have the cassia, which means whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to worship God. Whether I get a good report or a bad report, I'm going to worship God. Stand, everybody, if you will. Thank you, Jesus. And I want you to return with the choir, Pastor Zach, to let the worshipers arise. I want the band people to come, and I want us to, uh, hallelujah to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Bow your heads for a moment, everybody, reverentially, would you? 
this is the place where I seek for a greater anointing than what I've already had because I know how the devil would rob somebody here of what God has designed for you. You say, Pastor Matura, this morning I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I realize it first comes through salvation. The anointing will not be released unless I confess my sins, forsake them, and become the temple of God. Pray, Christians, as you whisper a prayer to yourself, anybody and everybody who's ever been delivered of things that are bigger than you were or are, you thank God now that His anointing is going to help others to be delivered. Come on, everybody, offer a whisper of prayer. I'm not going to just keep you long for the sake of keeping you, but, but help me. Come on, everybody, create a, a little bit of worship in your spirit and say, God, free up that teenager. I want everybody that feels like worship. Or oh, even if you don't feel like it, raise up your hands. I, I even feel the change from asking you to pray and ask you to praise. Come on, raise up your hands and praise God. Pastor, I could pray better if I didn't have this sickness. Go ahead and praise Him anyhow. Pastor, I could pray for sinners better or somebody else if I didn't have this worry or anxiety or panic. Just go ahead and worship. I worship you. Let the worshipers arise. While you worship, if you need Jesus as your Savior, if you are ready today to quit doing things in your own power and keep going back further into sin, every time you think you got it licked, you end up going back deeper and you know you can't do it on your own strength. You say, Pastor Allen, I want Jesus and I want the Holy Ghost. Come from where you're standing and stand in this altar. Come and stand in Jesus' name. Come, come in Jesus' name. I want, I want my elders, a few of you elders to come and, and begin to minister. And if nobody comes to you, just come on anyhow. I want others to come. Come on. I want, 